Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisnan. We all knew it was coming. Adulthood. Relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, AR Nation. I've got a quick announcement I'd like to share with you. It's about an incredibly powerful, high-ticket marketing community that I'm a proud member of. It's called the Super Affiliate Accelerator. This program's absolutely for you if you want to be successful online. Whether you're a beginner looking to get started with an online business, and also if you already have an online business but struggling to reach your goals. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is run by three experienced and amazing coaches. Between the three of them, they've sold millions of dollars in products and services online across all different industries. Why I find the Super Affiliate Accelerator so powerful is because of its unique all-in-one blend of a proven training program, weekly coaching and mentoring from an amazing group of accomplished internet marketers, and a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. For a limited time, the SAA coaches are offering a complimentary business strategy call. So whether you're a coach or consultant, if you provide professional services, or if you just want to start an online business, but you're confused or overwhelmed with where or how to start, I invite you to check out this incredible program, the Super Affiliate Accelerator. And you can learn more today by visiting richardkistman.com forward slash SAA. Again, that's richardkistman.com forward slash SAA. Now, let's get to today's amazing episode. Well, hello there, friends. How's it going? Welcome back to the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Kiston. So thankful, so grateful, wherever you are in the world, doing whatever it is you may be doing, spending your time and energy with me. It really means a lot, uh, so I express nothing but gratitude. Hopefully, you're doing well. Um, you know, right now, at the time of this recording, man, it was about 50 degrees this morning. I don't have any winter clothes out, so... That dog walk in the morning for every, any dog owners know it's not that easy to adjust to the weather. Uh, but otherwise, I can't complain. I'm truly blessed and truly excited about having our guest on this episode of the podcast. Uh, we met and were connected through, uh, again, a networking group that uh, I'm a part of and mutually connected through um, a, a couple of meetings there. But I'd love to welcome to the show, Hi June. Uh, Hi June, welcome to the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Thank you. Nice to, uh, nice to see you, Richard. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> yep. So, Hyjun Park, uh, you're the owner of two businesses. Uh, first one is you design accessories for, luxury accessories rather, for uh, classical instruments, but also you have a jewelry design business. So, um, let me actually yield the floor to you if you can share a little bit about your background and, and how you got into, you know, running and managing two different businesses. Sure. Um, so... I studied jewelry design in university. Um, I came, went to Syracuse University and um, I ended up getting a BFA in metalsmithing, uh, which is essentially studying uh, anything, anything to do with metals. It's metallurgy. And so that's where I learned to um, discover the possibilities of jewelry design, working with metals. And I fell in love with the metal itself uh, as a material. And uh, upon graduation, I went to New York City and I have been here ever since. Um, but an internship, which I sought out before I graduated from college, um, brought me here. I was looking for actually some kind of a gallery or, um, an artist that I could apprentice with. So I got an internship uh, working for a jewelry, a jeweler who made jewelry for um, fine jewelry designers such as Elsa Peretti uh, at Tiffany and Temple St. Clair. And that's where I learned to uh, learn some tricks of the trade and also my eyes opened to the world of jewelry design and how big a business it was. So I spent 15 years in the world of fashion jewelry design in the corporate world as a designer. And um, that's where I learned the designing aspect, um, working with product development, merchandising, sales and marketing, um, and selling to various department stores, going to China, going to Europe uh, for trading and factory trips. 
um, it was always my dream to have my own business. So um, eventually that's where I ended up. <laughs> but um, that's my background in a nutshell. And um, yeah, and then I started Luxitune, my violin tuner business, because I met a musician who asked me to commission her piece. And then the rest is history. <laughs> I can give, I can go a little more into that story if you want. Yeah, but well, I want to just, that's, that's the nutshell. <laughs> definitely want to unpack that because when I, when I saw that, I was, I was, I was like very fascinated by that one transaction, that one experience that led to this. But if we can go back a little, because I, I didn't know this about you and, and talk about your decision to study metallurgy. I'm saying it right, metallurgy? Um, it's actually metalsmithing. That's metalsmithing. the study of it. Uh, but I call it metallurgy because you learn a lot about metals, uh, silver, gold, copper, brass, um, aluminum, and steel, and pewter. If, if you can sort of un unpack that, because this was college, you said, right? Um, yeah. Why, what or why did you decide to pursue metalsmithing in college? Like what was, I, maybe it's family dynamics, maybe it's something, creativity, like what, what fueled that decision? Um, uh, well, yeah, that's, that's, how, how should I explain that? Um, okay, so I actually wanted, I was an art major in high school, uh, growing up in Singapore. And um, I wanted to actually finish high school early and go to FIT in New York. And my art teacher uh, said, no way. <laughs> he was like, no way are you going to do that. You need to finish your diploma here and then really consider what you want to do instead of dropping everything and going to uh, fashion school. So um, my parents said, why don't you kind of stay, stick around and see what, what, um, what you feel like doing a year later. So um, he actually suggested that I go into jewelry design instead of fashion design. And I looked at my art teacher back then and said, you're crazy. I mean, I, I'm a fine artist. Uh, I'm not doing things for the body. So I fast forward, I went, I'm in Syracuse University and um, I was actually an industrial design major because that was the only way my parents would allow me, Asian parents, uh, <laughs> to go to art school. Uh, right. So I go to art school as an industrial design major, and then I quickly switch majors to sculpture. And then um, I was short of a credit, a studio credit, when electing um, classes for one of the semesters. And my, uh, I, I was kind of at a loss what to take, and nothing was really interesting me. So I was walking around my um, art building, and I saw some jewelry pieces and beautiful forks and um, vases that were enameled and stoned. And I just thought, wow, this is, this is beautiful. What, what, how do I learn how to do this? And so I asked my advisor at the time and he said, oh, that you can learn to do that by taking metal smithing. Um, and I said, I'm going to take that. <laughs> I, I, whatever that is, it looks cool. So I'm going to take it. So I took that. And um, ever since then, I spent more time in my metalsmithing studio classes than any of my majors, which is a problem in the end. <laughs> but um, that's how I ended up switching and discovering metalsmithing. I mean, I didn't know that. And that to me is like, that's a fascinating story. And like, you, I, again, I want to get back to like getting to Luxitude and whatnot, but just briefly, like, and for myself, I, I, I heard your story I can resonate with because oftentimes there's, again, myself included, people in my life, people around me, we make decisions based on things that like are influences from others, right? And so like you said, you decide industrial engineering, nothing wrong with that, but it sounds as if that wasn't like really what you wanted to do. It's, it's, it was your way, like the ticket to get to where you want to be, but it wasn't, didn't really truly resonate with you. And you had the courage actually to, to go and do your own thing at some point. Um, so that, that to me is very impressive that you went ahead and switched your major. Whatever I wanted to do, which is ended up becoming a little bit of a problem. I had to explain to my parents, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's for, uh, that's for another episode. Um, right. <laughs> so, all right, let, let's talk. So you spent 15 or so years, um, in the fashion industry 
and whatnot, and then decided to strike out on your own with Luxatune. I actually do want to go back to the story you briefly alluded to. You shared it on your website that you met, I think her name was Catherine Fong. Yes. Um, after, after a recital. So if you can share that story and like what really, what was that like to meet someone who, you know, is a, let's, a celebrity and <laughs> then have them impact your life to go ahead and, and start a business out of it? Sure. So I met Catherine Fong um, after a recital, uh, chamber music recital. Um, she was actually friends with my um, husband at the time, actually. Um, and she came up to me and um, of course I'm in awe going, oh my God, this cool stylish violinist for the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra is coming up to me to talk to me. Yay. Uh, she said, um, hey, hi June, do you think you could bling out my E string tuner? And I, I just kind of looked at her blankly and, and I said, uh, I don't really know what that is, but I'll find out and I'll get back to you. <laughs> um, and then I discovered quickly later that I, it was something that I could do fairly easily. Um, it required some research and development because um, it's such a small piece and it's a piece that I have to be careful with because it's, it's going to be a functional part of an instrument that is very important to the musician. Uh, so it can't affect the sound or whatnot or the weight. Um, so I, based on my jewelry knowledge, knowing what will sell, what women like in general, um, jewelry design 101, right? Um, I sat at my jeweler's bench and did some sketching and then um, came up with two ideas. One was a pave ball, uh, it's like a disco ball, right? And um, emulating the look of studded diamonds uh, using Swarovski crystals. And then a bow, a studded bow, um, bow-shaped um, piece. So I made those two designs and I showed it to her and she really liked both, but she ended up choosing the pave ball. And um, it was great, she loved it. And then she actually came back to me and said, hey, would you, would you wanna start a business with this? This could be something. And I said, sure, you know, <laughs> why not? So I was still working at the time and it's something I continued to do while I was working full time. Sorry about that. If you can share a little about, because uh, you mentioned this on your website that you you wanted to with Luxitude, right? And it's it almost sounds like it's a certain discrete audience that you're you're catering to the work the people you work with, uh, but in in the work that you do, you want to sort of bring together the beauty of the violin and the glamour of fashion. Yes. What is what does that mean to you, right? So when someone, if like you were commissioned by someone to 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 do a work. Um, when with the end piece, like what do you, what does that mean to you? The beauty of the violin plus fashion. Um, so to me, what that means is really um, as a designer, um, my goal is to design something um, that the end the end user falls in love with just as much as. I have. Um, it's an expression uh, for me. It's a form of expression, and um, desi designing is my my language. So, my love for music. Uh, I grew up playing piano, classical piano, and I don't do that anymore. But um, the just music in general, it it it's a beautiful form of art, and designing is also a beautiful form of art. And the both both expressions and the fact that I have a I have a strong interest in music and the fact that I loved his design and the fact and those things combined those elements actually combined into a physical piece is um, an extension of what my I guess what my aspirations are and um, for someone to use that and put it on their violin is kind of a empowering thing because that means that they're you know they they have this beautiful piece of artwork that they're performing and creating music and um they're enhancing it with my my accessory i guess <laughs> and um and, and it lasts for a very long time because violins are handed down over generations 
and it's it's something that's very attached to the musicians themselves. So they they oftentimes love their instruments more than um, anything <laughs> anything else in the world. So it's it's very valuable to, to them. So to have my um, tuners be a part of their instrument is is what brings value, I think, ultimately. That, that's awesome. Um, it, if I can turn now just a little bit. So it's one thing that someone, you know, it, it's an amazing experience, right? Where someone that you, you're, you admire, a performer, someone like reaches out to you to do work for and with them. Mm -hmm. But then converting that to a business, right? And pursuing that as a passion. Can you can you share a little about what that was like? I mean, it's again, it was an amazing experience. I, I can take it that Catherine Fong reached out to you about this piece for her, but then how'd you go about then making it into a business and like sourcing other clients and, and figuring that out? So, um, yeah, so there was a lot of, so it, it's always great to start a business, right? Um, and then there comes, okay, what next? <laughs> so you put two design creative types together, <laughs> trying to figure things out. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, no, we actually divided up. Uh, we shared responsibilities from the get-go. We decided uh, that I was the creative director. She was on the marketing sales end. She has the connections with the musicians. So we divided our positions that way, which was very clear cut. It was great. I did design product development and research uh, because that's my, my ex area of expertise, right? So I, we, we had to quickly figure out how to um, get ourselves uh, registered, um, become a partnership, um, talk to some lawyers, <laughs> all that logistical stuff. Um, so we, we actually end um, have, have doing it pretty easily because she asked um, a family friend of hers to help out. So that was really great. Um, and then I ended up reaching out to a lot of um, people by calling. And so the, this is where the two worlds coincide, my previous experience, because because during my 15 plus years in the fashion industry, I got to meet a lot of suppliers domestically as well as overseas. So I just started hitting them up. I started calling them, asking them, telling them I had this project and um, every step along the way, I ended up and reaching a, a dead, dead end. So then I would say, do you, can you help uh, figure out where I can get this plated without without plating the whole thing, you have to mask it. So anyway, it was, it's a very long, <laughs> boring um, story. However, I ended up talking to someone in Rhode Island who helped me figure out some solutions. And then actually my, my husband at the time, his good friend who is uh, a scientist or an engineer, he helped like draw out this possible tool that we could make to, um, make our pieces in bulk, uh, actually finishing them, plating them uh, from the raw material stage to the plated finish in gold or uh, silver, right? Without damaging the part that screws into the instrument. So it took a lot of trial and error and um, finally figured it out. <laughs> but along the way, um, we were still running our business and fulfilling orders because Catherine was doing her job of, you know, Get talking to press and musicians and word of mouth so yeah it was it was a lot of trial and error but um we i learned a lot and thankfully my experience with um working in the corporate jewelry world really helped absolutely because the same principles apply in terms of business yeah. and development awesome and so right now luxatune do you still do custom pieces or do you have predominantly uh, like a product line? And then, um, so I guess ultimately, like, what's the offering right now with Luxatune and, and where do you see it going? Uh, right now, the offering is for just violin, viola, and cello. And we have a collection of um, just actually uh, two core designs and they, I update them with uh, offer new colors uh, every 
I'd say every once in a while. Uh, we don't really do it seasonally or anything like that. Um, I actually don't want to make it. One thing I learned in the fashion industry is that we keep producing and it's just too much. There's just an excess of uh, change and updating and coming up with more stuff uh, that no one really needs. <laughs> it goes to waste, right? So um, uh, that's also why I started Fine Jewelry, my Hygiene Parker line later. But with Luxitune, we have, we follow that fine jewelry model of seasonless design. So I incorporate a few new colors every, I'd say every two years. And then, um, and then we have a few one-offs that are in the line, like three other designs. And then I do custom and that's just based on the client, whatever they're wanting to make. How does it make you feel with respect to the products, th those, uh, maybe even the, well, I, I would say all of them, the, the entire product line, I, I want to limit it to just custom, but mm -hmm. have, have you seen them in use? And like, how, how does that make you feel when someone reaches out to you and say, hey, I, I, I used the, the piece that you created and, and like, it's become part of, part mm -hmm. of me and my instrument and that, that ecosystem. How does that make you feel? Oh, it feels, it makes me feel great. Um, but more importantly, it makes me feel very connected to the musicians. I'm not a musician myself. I'm not a professional musician at all. And um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just really cool to be connected to all these musicians who uh, I probably will never meet in person, but through them, because of the, the actual product, um, I'm connected with them. And we have a relationship because uh, sometimes they come back for a new color or they want to customize it for a new um, tailpiece or component of their instrument that they're building and adding on. Um, and that's a very big decision. So they, um, we, they consult with me and they say what they're getting and they want to talk about colors and materials. So it's, it's really involved. And so that's why I feel very connected. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's really powerful. I mean, I, I, I don't create like that to see something, I, I guess maybe if I represent the client and like later on they, they share with me like the outcome, but that's, that must be great. Like people reaching out to you saying this is, you know, because like you said, the instrument becomes part of that musician's life and it's handed down, mm -hmm. especially classical instruments. And so these pieces live with, with that instrument, you know, and, and also yeah. get because that's pretty awesome. Um, what I want to turn to now is Hyjun Parker, right? Your jewelry design. And so you have, you, you had Luxitune going and you decided then to start something else, right? With, with uh, jewelry design. So why don't you share a little about like how that came about? Um, and, and yeah, let's, let's start with that. How, how did that come about while you're, while you're. Um, I've always wanted to, it's always been a dream of mine to have my own jewelry line, right? And um, it was always, um, there was always an excuse. It's not the right time. I'm not, you know, I have I'm too busy right now. Uh, when I work on my promotion or um, I'm not a citizen yet, whatnot. Anyway, um, I got laid off <laughs> one year once uh, from a job and I was just so sick of, um, I think it was time for change and sometimes things happen for a reason. Um, so I was laid off and I was figuring out what I wanted to next, wanted to do next. And then, uh, instead of rushing into searching for another job and networking, I kind of stopped and, um, I, I did some self-reflecting and then, um, I realized this is the time to, uh, I had some money saved up and I realized this is the time to do it because otherwise I'm never going to do it. So I started. And um, it's, it's another small business. Luxitune is a small business. Hygiene Parker Jewelry is a small business. And I want to grow it that way. So, um, uh, so I started designing for it. And um, my goal for that was to design, again, timeless jewelry that just keeps evolving. Um, and, and something that I can bond with my clients with over. Uh, so designing less, producing less. And um, I chose fine jewelry because the precious materials can be recycled and renewed and made into something else. 
and you can keep it for generations and pass it down. Um, so it doesn't really go to waste, which is what I like about the material. Um, so that, that's pretty much how I started the, the jewelry portion of it. You share part on your website um, that some of, some of it and some of the joy that you get from it is bringing the, the stories and emotions of clients that you work with, bring that through a piece that you work on. How, I guess maybe similarly to the, the classical instruments accessories, how, do, how does that come about between you and a client on, let's say, a custom piece? Um, what's that process like and, and what do you, you know, how do you work with the people that you work with to end up telling that story or expressing that emotion through a piece? Sure. Um, so it's different with uh, every client, but um, basically it's, it's kind of date. It's kind of like dating, I think. Um, so it's, it's a, the whole process is you get to know them, you get to know them. Um, and so the first step is, figuring out what, well, what, what is their budget? And um, the secondly, what materials do they want to work with? And then um, whether it's rose gold or yellow gold or white gold, 18 karat, 14 karat. Um, and then oftentimes it's for, um, uh, or, uh, it's a gift, right? Whether it's, a, it's an engagement ring or a promise ring or something for their daughters, whatnot. Um, so I, I start asking about themselves and their lifestyle, their taste level, where they like to shop, what are their interests. And so it's, it's really like dating because I'm getting to know them. I'm asking questions so that I get to know them more. And then, um, and then it starts with me sketching and finding the materials. And so over time, we get to know each other pretty well. <laughs> they get to know things about me and I get to know things about them. And I think oftentimes it's um, our personalities that are jiving that ends up becoming a match. And so because it's an extension of myself and they're letting me um, into their lives, of what their feelings and intentions were for making this piece, commissioning this piece. So my interpretation combined with theirs ends up being produced into this tangible piece of jewelry. And that's how, and then the end result, hopefully, and usually they, they love it. So I think that's where the, the um, expression of uh, the memories and emotions comes into play. If you can share a little about the business aspect of, of it, I'm, I'm always curious, like, uh, objections and, and what people may, may have as, as a blockage to, you know, in my, like legal services or whatever cases when in, with respect to jewelry design, like what do you find are objections or awareness issues that people don't have, uh, that maybe you have to pull them through to, to get them to work with you? Um, from a legal standpoint, objections? Or? No, just, I, I guess generally, like, for instance, I, I think sometimes, I, 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 like, some of the work I do is bankruptcy, right? And some people, the objection is the stigma of bankruptcy, right? They, they, they think, like, bankruptcy is this thing that oh. I can never recover or whatnot. And you just got to walk them through that belief that it's, a, it's an incorrect belief. Um, so jewelry design is, it's like, maybe, maybe some of the objections, maybe, I don't know. Um, you know, it's only for the truly well, like absolutely wealthy, the 1%, right? Or, um, you know, I, I don't know how my emotion or my, if it's like a, an engagement piece, like how can I tell that story through a custom ring versus, you know, something I'll pull off of a done for you already. I, I don't know what it is, but like something right. like Jared's. Um, so what objections do you tend to find? Oh, uh, God, there's so many. <laughs> um, the, the biggest objection is um, the, the price, always, uh, of course. But um, that's to be expected because some, uh, there's oftentimes um, the perception that um, you just put a piece of metal and then the stone and then there it is. What, 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 what more is there? So why is it so expensive? <laughs> And, and then when I, and then, and so, you know, that's a good point. And if that's the case, then go to 
go to the stores that you could find them in. Uh, it, don't come to me because I'm not, I'm not here to do what those stores do. Um, I'm a small business and um, I want to connect with my clients and I work with their budget. So the, when people think custom, I think they think it's very expensive and that's not necessarily the case. Um, I can work with things that are available and then uh, modify it and add my own touch to it, which makes it very unique in the end. Um, but ultimately, it's the thought. I think it's the thought process and in the intention. Uh, I use recycled metals, uh, so uh, the objection is basically what what the client uh, is really looking for. If they want something that's more of an experience and they care about where it's made, how it's made, and um, what kind of impact if there is any. Uh, what, what do I believe in, basically? <laughs> uh, it's not just some, any, some random person making it or anything like that. Um, the other objection is, um, I'd say, uh, timeline. Uh, it takes time to make pieces uh, because it's not produced um, by a machine necessarily. There, there's machines that produce the castings and whatnot, so it's a whole it's a very detailed process, but it's, it's actually um, like two to four weeks. It takes two to four weeks to make. So I guess it, for some, for those who are just wanting to buy something right off the shelf, that's, that's an objection for sure. <laughs> if, if someone, and this is probably a selfish question because I admit, I, I, I don't know very much about like jewelry at all. And if I were to point out something that I think looks good, I'm sure everyone around me would say, Richard, I'm questioning your taste. But if, if, in terms of like jewelry design and, and whatnot, if someone came to you and said, I, I, I don't know, I just, want, I just want a ring for someone, like how, how do you walk them through that process, right? Let's say an engagement ring or whatever, you know, an anniversary ring of some sort. And someone wants to get a ring for an engagement, for their, their child or something like that. But they, mm -hmm. they take the process and I, I don't know anything. How do you draw that story or that emotion from someone who, again, isn't maybe aware of how to express that story through jewelry? Mm -hmm. um, well, I, I ask what they're, a, a little about what, what they like, um, what they're drawn to. It's, it's definitely, jewelry is an emotional purchase, so it doesn't matter how it looks to me or someone else, as long as the person who, the client who is looking, whether you know about it or not, if you're uh, drawn to it aesthetically, I think that's what matters. And then I can tell them the story behind it. Um, but often I'll ask them what, what the, um, a little about the person that they're gifting it to. And uh, generally if there's any brands that they, they're, they like or they're knowledgeable about and then uh, the price point. And then I show them the pieces that I have that they might like. And then we kind of narrow it down from there. And I also explain to them um, a little about each piece. And then I think a lot of times the, the way things are made or sometimes it's just the piece itself, they, it really speaks out to them and they say, this is it, this is what I want or they like the story behind the piece and which is then the reason why they select it. Do you have, without getting into details, right? Cause yeah. I understand confidentiality, but without getting into details, maybe a, a, like a piece that you made that, you know, still it's like a story that just like rings out. This is why I do what I do. Like on the tough days, you think back to this, this was a client who came, a customer client that came to me with a story that just, I, I had to do it. And this piece like still resonates as one of my, like, I'm not gonna say best or favorite, but something that just sticks out. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so uh, this couple uh, I met, actually I met them through the, the, the husband of the couple. He's uh, someone that I met through uh, like my high school, uh, alumni alumni alumnus alumni uh, association in Singapore uh, he went to the same high school as me at different times and we met here in New York and we've become friends ever since and we've gone uh, we've had 
um, we've hung out um, and we both have some similar interests uh, such as like skiing and stuff. Anyway, um, randomly, um, he told me when he calls me up and says, hey, um, can you make uh, wedding bands? And I said, and this is a very guy way to do it. He's like, hey, uh, and I said, yeah, sure. What, 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 uh, you're getting married? <laughs> and he said, yeah, yeah, you gotta meet my, my uh, wife to be, or my wife. And I said, sure. So we met up for dinner and um, I meet her for the first time. Lovely, lovely girl. She's very cool. And um, so we met and then, I'm talking to her and um, they're very casual and basically I just asked her what is your style what do you like and she said I'm a Pat Patagonia girl I like she's in finance she likes to ski she likes to snowboard she likes to go hiking she's a very outdoorsy girl and I said okay um, and then I asked what Alex my friend liked and uh, he told me and they're both kind of outdoorsy but they're also kind of artistic they they kind of have uh, um, a liking for some of the artistic side of things so I said okay I'll go home and do some sketching and um, they're very minimal in style so I designed it and they loved it and um, now they have a kid and uh, we're still in touch uh, and that was very simple, but um, that's still, I'd say that was a really fun project for me because uh, it's someone I knew and just randomly told me, and um, he just kind of randomly told me, I'm getting married. <laughs> and so I designed the rings for them. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know if that's a good example, but that's the oh, one that- Yeah, it, it kind of like, I, as you're sharing that the like the intimacy involved right of someone like trusting you but also you know sharing sharing whatever they can and then essentially leaving it in your hands for something that's intended to be like you said timeless and like passed down or whatnot so that that is a pretty cool pretty cool story so thank you for sharing that turning it now back to the business sure. side of things um so again you you're in you're running two businesses how do you how do you manage that do you try to like streamline everything or do you keep luxatune here hygiene parker jewelry here like how does that that work for you i streamline them and um i run them as two separate businesses um they function as one umbrella actually they were two separate before but my accountant actually told me that it can be just a dba so i simplified it from that perspective um i actually the the um copyright and trademark thing that i have to get on because i tried to do it by myself and i learned that i can't do it by myself so <laughs> so that's definitely something i have to do <laughs> but basically i learned quickly well maybe not quickly enough i i do everything myself and i learned that in bit when if you're running a business and if you want to be you have to acknowledge what you're good at, what you're not good at, and farm it out, uh, hire professionals to do it. So I run them as two separate businesses and um, I spend, I divvied up so that I spend, um, I'm as efficient as possible on what brings the most, I guess, return. So designing is definitely not my biggest, the, the, biggest time I spend in my business. It's definitely not. Um, I spent mostly on marketing, sales, um, and customer support. <laughs> no, that, like, that, that's a hugely impactful thing. And I, I think from my analytics, a lot of you know, business owners, people who run their own businesses, listen to this podcast. And it's something that like, I think it's a, a common thread where um, what book is it? I think it's the E-Myth, but you know, you get into a business because you like the craft of it or the actual doing of it, but the doing is separate and apart from like management, yeah. right? Administration. And so it takes, I think a huge mind shift to say, okay, as much as I, I may be a, like a jewelry designer, jewelry designing isn't the thing that's going to move the needle the most with business and like accepting that as true. Um, it's something that I battle with every day. So I know where you're coming from. I know. And technology is another one. 
that's like a whole new category. With every new software, you think like it's going to help you, but it just, it's, it sucks up more times. It really does. <laughs> it's category. Um, I wanted to ask you if you can share, going back to jewelry real quick, um, because there may be people on here, again, maybe in a similar position as me, who not too familiar with jewelry, not too familiar with accessories, but um, maybe just generally quick tips about jewelry for people who don't know what to do with it um, other than it's, it may be something I can wear. <laughs> okay. Um, jewelry makes great gifts and also you can easily layer them, stack them. Um, you can refurbish them, give them an upgrade. This is something that a lot of people don't know about. Like for example, if you have a piece of jewelry that you've had sitting around in your jewelry box for a while because it was your mother's or your father's or someone gave it to you and you, it's not just not your thing anymore, you can get it remade into something new. Uh, so you can wear it, you can give it new life. Um, that's the non-wasting way to go. <laughs> um, and it's not necessarily always very costly. Um, the other thing you can do with jewelry is you can wear it different ways. If you have an earring, or if you have a ring that you're not usually wearing, you could put it on a chain and wear it as a necklace. You could put lots of rings on a chain and wear it as a necklace. Um, and uh, again, you could take earrings that you're not using anymore and make them into a bracelet piece or a ring or a pendant. It's, it, it, jewelry is very interchangeable because when you work with metals, um, and this is if it's silver or gold, um, those pieces can be melted or enhanced and just made into something different or just added like a ring can be added and then it can dangle as a charm or something. So you can actually do a lot with jewelry that you already have. And in terms of someone who, like if someone, if I approached you and said, Hey, hi, June, I, 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 I'm curious about like adding jewelry to my life. Are there questions that mm -hmm. I should, someone should ask themselves before like buying jewelry or like, I guess mm -hmm. the design, what, what is it like? Cause you touched on a little bit, maybe just the aesthetics, but um, things or thought process that someone should go through uh, as they're thinking about buying jewelry for themselves or maybe for someone else. Right. Uh, yeah, I, of course, definitely. You should absolutely be asking yourself, in my opinion, you should ask yourself why you want, what, what's the occasion? What do you want from the jewelry? Is it something that you just want to put on because you want to enhance an outfit or you just have a, you just kind of want to add to your jewelry collection or if you're not a jewelry buyer, but you kind of want something significant, you have to think of it as an investment. Um, and then if it's an investment that you want to make that because you want to have it for a long time, then um, I suggest you kind of do the research and figure out what kind of investment you want it to be. Is it something that you want um, to have certain amount of weight, have a better resale value, just in terms of materials? Then you don't wanna go with something that's made overseas, stamped out, it's, it's hollow, so it looks big, but then maybe it's really light. So it doesn't really have that much value. Um, also asking about if you want it to have a piece of stone on it, then, or an engagement ring, um, what the person that you're buying the ring for, do they care about sustainability? Do they care about what communities that the, you're supporting? Because every, it's like voting with your wallet, right? You buy whatever you spend your money on, you're supporting that business. So um, it, these are all questions that you should ask yourself. And then when you approach a person or a designer or a brand, it's always kind of good to ask, um, you know, where it's made, how it's made, what material is it, and where the stones are sourced from. And it's always good to actually touch it and feel it and know that it's a solid piece of jewelry. It's well made. That, that's actually very, very insightful. Like I, I don't think even, I mean, not, I don't constitute jewelry, but like a, a simple watch, I never think about like where where is this being sourced from or what 
you know, what communities am I, am I taking resources from, but also contributing to it's, it's a very interesting, like shift in awareness to ask those kinds of questions, especially with something like, like jewelry, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's really important because, you know, we, especially during this COVID times, um, I have started to really realize who I want to support, uh, just in my local businesses, in my, my uh, neighborhood, um, because that every little cent counts. And, um, my, my stone suppliers who are hand cutting stones from Sri Lanka, you know, and they do such a great job. Um, it's, it's mine from the earth. Uh, I want to keep supporting them. I don't want to buy it from some random person just because it's cheaper necessarily. Um, it, it, it really affects the whole chain, uh, supply, uh, supply chain, supply chain, sorry. <laughs> so it's really good to know who you're buying from. Yeah, very true. Um, If I can turn back as, as we start maybe wrapping up a little bit about the businesses, like where where do you see the bit, well, you, you said they were, they were kind of joined uh, by a little bit while ago. So let's call them both or, or together, but where do you see the business going and, and how do you, how do you see yourself if part of that roadmap is to grow how do you see yourself still like you influencing the things that happen on the customer facing side let's say design and whatnot um so maybe if you want to share a little about your vision for the next couple of years for your businesses and and how you intend to like grow with it or or keep your touch your personal touch um working with your customers and clients yes uh mm. um so I see this, I see the two businesses, businesses growing simultaneously together because they have now started to cross over, meaning the clients, the, my, the musicians who know about Lexitune have started to, through social media, they have started to know that I also have a jewelry line and um, the custom requests have come where they say, my beloved passed away but I have this gold from her can you please make this into a tuner using precious opals using uh, and so the gold is 14 karat gold so I'm designing a piece of jewelry but then it's outfitted for a music, musical instrument so there's I I see it growing more in that sense more of a crossover and clients from my jewelry side and my music business side crossing over as well um, so ideally it would be great for every musician to have a Luxitune and musicians to, um, and my jewelry customers to support musicians and go to their concerts, um, listen to their music, um, cross collaboration happening. I would just love to see that happening. Um, and yeah, I don't really know. I don't really. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I mean, it, it, it does make sense as you were talking and even as, as I was thinking about this, uh, speaking with you, I thought about like that, the crossing of audiences and how it seems like they're, they're mutually good fit for, you know, both sides or both forms of, of your businesses. So that's pretty awesome. Um, hi June, this has been, this has been spectacular. I, again, I admit that I don't know much about jewelry design and all the work that goes into the, the pieces that you create both for Lexitune and also uh, with Hi June Park Designs. If you can share a little about, if people want to get in touch with you, maybe who's a good fit to reach out to you and how they can reach out to you? Um, I guess anyone who's, um, I like to work with people in person. So, because there's a lot of touching of materials and seeing things. So if you're located in the New York City area, um, anyone is a good fit. Um, if you don't like me after the first consultation, I will not be offended. <laughs> Our personalities have to definitely match, I think, in some ways. Um, but yeah, I work with every budget. Uh, if you're interested in any kind of silver or gold jewelry, I also started, I pivoted recently and started making mass chains um, using not necessarily silver. So uh, that's another accessory. But uh, yeah, anyone who's interested uh, in the New York City area, I would welcome them and anyone in other parts of the country too, of course, uh, virtual. And you can reach me at 
my email address <laughs> or my uh, or through my um, website. Yeah, very cool. I'll definitely link that up. That's luxatune, well, luxatune.com as well as high for the classical instruments, accessories, and then hijuneparker.com for your uh, custom jewelry designs, right? Um, anything, any social media also too, if you want to yeah. broadcast that and then I can link it up in the show notes. Yeah, Luxitune uh, for my violin tuners. Uh, the social media, Instagram, uh, Facebook is Luxitune. And then uh, for jewelry, it's again, Hyjun Parker. I can send that to you too. Awesome, yeah, definitely link that up in the show notes. So everyone, thank you very much to Hyjun Park. Uh, again, Luxitune and Hyjun Parker Designs. Um, before we wrap up, Hyjun, I'd love to give you the floor if you have uh, any final parting words for the audience or a message you'd like to share. Um. <laughs> Putting you on the spot, I know. <laughs> That's, uh, wow. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'd just say, um, just, yeah, whatever brings joy to you, um, go for it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> that's a, that's a home run, right? Put, putting you in from the bench onto the field, home run to the end the game. Um, everyone, hi, June Park. I very much appreciate it. Again, you can reach out at luxatune.com and hi, June Parker.com. Uh, I'll link those up in the show notes. And Aero Nation, until next time, take care, be well, bye for now. Hey there, Aero Nation. Before we go, I wanted to remind you of the Super Affiliate Accelerator. Whether you're looking to get started with an online business or if you're struggling to see the traction you've been hoping for in your current online business, the Super Affiliate Accelerator can help you see the success that you want in your business and in your life. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is an all-in-one, high-ticket marketing community where you'll get access to proven training, weekly coaching and mentoring from seasoned and accomplished marketers who've sold millions of dollars in products and services online, as well as access to a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. Right now, the SAA coaches are offering a free complimentary business strategy call. So if you're ready to build a strong and profitable online business and brand, take advantage of the complimentary business strategy call today and learn more about the Super Affiliate Accelerator by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA.